Welcome. This is David Barris, president of the American Association of Bank Directors, host of ABD's Calling All Bank Directors podcast. Today, we have as our guest, Dave Martin, to address mergers of equals. Dave has had an extensive career in representing banks in merger transactions, including mergers of equals. He's an ABD advisor on bank mergers, heads up its buy, sell, or hold advisory services for bank directors and senior management. Please let me know if you have any follow-up questions by contacting me at dbarris at abd.org. All right, let's call Dave. Welcome, Dave, to Calling All Bank Directors podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Our subject today is bank mergers of equals. Do they make sense, and if so, under what circumstances? Well, I'm glad to uh, tell you what I know. My remarks are intended for the community bank that would like to increase its growth and profitability. Who wouldn't? But it thinks it's too small to buy another bank, and it's unwilling to sell, or it can't find a buyer. Uh, One solution, and the subject of the podcast, is a merger of equals. How common are they? How common are mergers of equals? Well, not very. In the past five years, there have been 2,153 bank mergers in the United States, and only 60, 60 out of more than 2,000, were classified as mergers of equals. That's fewer than 3%. And as I look through the list of deals that were called bank mergers, I'd say that the 3% number is high. It's probably more like 2%. Given that, you might well ask why we're devoting a podcast to them. Just this. We think MOEs make a lot of sense for some banks, maybe now more than ever. A merger of equals up-tiers both banks. It should produce both the economies of scale of a bank that's twice as large as either of the partners, and the consolidation economies that come from the elimination of redundant functions. And the benefits of those economies flow equally to the shareholders of the two partners. So if all that's true, how come there are so few of them? How come there are so few MOEs? The reason is simple. They're very hard to do. And I have to admit I can speak with some authority on that because I've been involved in MOE negotiations and never completed one. That means, too, that I have some pretty good ideas on what causes them to fail. By the way, my recollection is that those MOE discussions terminated. After they terminated, the parties eventually became sellers. So in this podcast, I'll discuss four main topics. First, I'll describe what I believe are the potential advantages of an MOE as compared with continued independence or even sale to an acquirer. Second, I'll try to explain why MOEs are so difficult to pull off. Third, I'll suggest a reason MOEs fail to achieve all of their potential benefits sometimes. Fourth, I'll try to identify the key to successful completion of a merger of equals from reaching agreement and then to realizing the deal's potential. The first topic is the easiest. What are the advantages of a merger of equals as as compared to continued independence? The recently announced MOE in New York provides good answers. On July 1st, just a few weeks ago, Bridge Bank Corp of Bridgehampton, New York, and Dime Community Bank Shares of Brooklyn announced their merger of equals. 
the CEO of Dime explained the rationale for the merger in their investor presentation. He said, we believe we have significantly increased the, the optionality of the pro forma company, be it through organic growth and in-market acquisitions, but also increasing our franchise's scarcity value. I'm going to summarize his comments and also the excellent investor presentation. There are five basic business objectives of the merger. The first and most obvious benefit is cost saves, about $32 million, and they expect to realize two-thirds of it in the first year, 2021. And they're aiming for a remarkable efficiency ratio of 50%. Second, and this may be increasingly important, they will be de-risking their loan portfolios through increased diversification. Their loan portfolios will merge well specifically because they are dissimilar. Third, they believe they are building a stronger operating platform for organic growth. Fourth, they believe they'll be creating a stronger capital base. Obviously, the day it's completed, they'll have a stronger capital base. And fifth, they think they'll be more attractive as an acquisition target. As a footnote, I have to mention that the transaction is expected to be slightly accretive to tangible book value. I'm going to repeat that, accretive to tangible book value. Um, a very unusual and favorable outcome. Why was a merger of equals especially tr attractive for these two banks? Well, from my observations, the, the banks are better than average performers going into the merger. Each has a good efficiency ratio, but as everyone knows, they operate in extremely competitive markets. As a measure of that competition, 89 other banks had an office within one mile of one of their offices, not to mention 45 credit unions. Looking at their financials, I'm guessing that neither bank was satisfied with its recent growth. And I think they may not have been comfortable with their loan portfolio concentrations. Their acquisition opportunities were limited by their absolute size. Selling would have been an option, but it appears to me that they saw the merger as a way of both strengthening their current position and increasing their eventual sale value. That was never said directly, but I think that's what the Dime CEO may have meant when he spoke about optionality and scarcity. Second point, if a merger of equals can do all those things, how come there aren't more of them? Well, as I said before, there aren't more of them because they're very hard to pull off. Imagine a meeting when two CEOs get together to, to discuss a merger of equals. They both know there will be only one CEO after the deal. And to take it a little further, there will be only one CFO, one head of human resources, one marketing director, etc. Both CEOs know some directors will be retired early or relegated to an advisory or regional board. That won't be easy. And by the way, they'll have to agree on a name for the bank, and they'll have to choose one headquarters location. But more difficult than any of those decisions, they'll have to decide which and how many employees are going to be terminated. Going back to the Bridge-Dime merger, one of the executives pardon me, said in their briefing, a lot of these transactions die on the social issues. I'll repeat that. He said, 
a lot of these transactions die on the social issues. I know from experience that's true. There are a lot of hard pills to swallow, and it's hard to come to an agreement. How is that different from any other merger? Just this. Pardon me. In a typical buyer-seller merger, the seller's shareholders receive a significant premium, and that helps compensate for the disagreeable aspects of the sale. But in an MOE, there's little or no premium. The usual seller's incentive is absent, and that brings up another disgruntled group. Any shareholders of both banks who invested in the banks because they looked like acquisition targets. Their complaint is that the banks gave up control without receiving a change of control premium. One answer to that objection is that after the merger, they still have the ability to relinquish control, arguably of a much larger and more profitable profitable bank that would attract an even larger premium than either of the predecessors. David, can you expand on this issue of giving up control? Dave, that's an excellent question because uh, normally, you're right, the uh, shareholders might expect in a deal that there will be a significant premium. And what makes this different is that there's continuity in the institution. The courts have recognized over many years the concept of uh, business judgment rule and they are willing to give deference to the board of directors in making a judgment whether this is in the best interest of the bank long-term and the shareholders, and that should be recognized in most cases. Well, thanks, David. That's that's critical. Yeah. Also, the point being that uh, documentation is important so that it will be apparent that the board acted reasonably in good faith in deciding to do a a merger of equals rather than a transaction that would produce a a premium. Thank you. Uh, The third point I mentioned at the beginning was my observation that some MOEs I've observed haven't met their operating potential. I think the reason may be that another incentive is missing in an MOE that is very much present in a standard buyer-seller transaction. And that's the incentive to quickly earn back both the earnings per share dilution and the tangible book value dilution. The bank stock analyst community properly focuses on those two numbers and particularly on the time promised to earn them back. In an MOE where there may be relatively little earnings per share or tangible book value dilution, that incentive is is missing or is less urgent. Some years ago, I observed an MOE that had terrific potentials, but a few years into it, the merged bank hadn't realized much of that potential, mainly because they hadn't harvested the cost saves. At some point after the merger, about two years after the merger, one of the two loan portfolios ran into credit trouble, and almost suddenly, there was a reason to realize the available cost saves. They did, and it ended well. That brings me to my fourth point. How do you deal with the unique problem problems in MOEs, first getting to agreement and then realizing the deal's potential? I'll repeat the comment I mentioned earlier. A lot of these transactions die on the social issues, and that's probably true throughout the process. 
The following piece of advice applies to all deals, but it seems most relevant in MOEs where the usual incentives and rewards are absent. The MOE process requires commitment. I'll say it again, commitment. If one or two members on one or both boards or even a key executive aren't sold on the deal, either get their support or abandon the deal. Otherwise, every time the process hits a snag, and there are lots of them in any deal, a single negative voice can kill it. In an MOE negotiation, the two CEOs have to repeatedly show their commitment and prop up others when the process hits the inevitable snags. David, you can tell I'm an advocate for MOEs, and I'll predict, I'll predict again that as current economic pressures build, I think we'll see more of them. Dave, that was excellent. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you.